2: Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John and Keys here Sunday morning. We have a great show for you today. We have Governor David Patterson on what's going on in New York, Congressman Peter King, Councilman Peter Holden, what's going on in New York City with the city council, Eric Schuffler, the Ferry Hawk, Steve Cates, what's going on in the skies, Anthony Weiner on his analysis from the other side, and we have D.A. Tierney, on an update after the press conference on the Giglio Beach murders, and County Executive Ballone on his analysis of what the heck happened with Giglio Beach. And let's start off with a good friend, Michael Stoller on the real estate industry.
0: Good morning, this is Michael Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Cats Roundtable. This morning I have Lev Mavishai, who is the founder and principal of Alpha Realty, a top investment sales brokerage firm specializing in the sale of multifamily mixed-use properties throughout New York City.
3: Good morning, Michael.
0: How are investment sales doing?
3: I'll tell you what, uh, there's a lot of things transpiring in the market right now. Uh, I mean, the market is definitely challenging. Prices are down, velocity, transaction volume is down. There are there are really two there are really two factors that are really kind of posing a challenge to the market right now. A it's the Higher cost of capital, both on the debt and equity side. You know, obviously, you know rates being six, seven percent now versus 3%, three percent, right? versus three percent, right. fifteen, sixteen months ago, and B, it's a tough regulatory environment right now. The city ain't making it easier, and it's, it's. I'm talking about the multifamily in general, and it's 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 kind of broadening a negative sentiment toward multifamily. So let's talk about that with regard to the. Uh rent stabilized stuff right yeah I, I so um rent stabilized product you know these pre-war rent stabilized buildings they they it's a it's a real challenge right now pricing is down pricing is down like 50% um across the board it doesn't matter whether i'm selling a rent stabilized building on the upper East side or whether i'm you know selling in brooklyn or the bronx rent stabilized is a tough product um, you know, you, you, know, you, you tell me, how do you, value, how do you value an investment that continually has negative cash flow or decreasing cash flow? You could buy it at a seven cap now, but what's going to be tomorrow? Operating costs, I'm just telling you from, from what I'm seeing out there, buyers are, are having a hard time with this product. You know, operating costs keep on rising and you have a cap on income. You know, yeah, they approved the three percent increase, but it's a joke from whatever hearing right. out there. The insurance yeah.
0: bill could go up significantly higher yeah, than that. Insu- right. Insurance
3: what, what, in, in the boroughs is now anywhere from a thousand to twelve hundred a unit right now. What about uh, good cause? Good cause, yeah, it, it's it's posing a huge risk not only to the rent stabilized stuff, well not doesn't apply to the rent stabilized stuff, but for the free market product. It's it's uh, People are, 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 you know, they're having a hard time underwriting that risk. I personally think the governor, she gave a clear thumbs down to good cause eviction. A couple of weeks ago, she totally uh, vetoed a bill to extend the 421 deadline. She is pro-extending the 421 construction deadline, but she, she gave a clear no as soon as they attached, as soon as the legislators attached the good cause eviction to it. Okay, so I think is, she's very clear about being anti-good cause eviction. What about uh, the warehousing of apartments? There's a lot of counts out there. Um, and anywhere from 50 to I think 80,000 units are now being held vacant. I think a lot of guys, a, a lot of landlords I'm speaking to, they're just finding it easier to keep them vacant than renting it out. What do you, What do you do with a unit that hasn't, you know, where a tenant's been there for 30, 40 years? Rent Rent is about $800. What do you, What do you do with that unit? You can't can't take any increases. There's no incentive to put work into it and and you know uh, release the unit at market. I I think it's. Uh, Backward policy, anti-housing policy. So who's buying in Brooklyn and the other boroughs? It depends on the product type. Within multifamily, there's various products. Uh, various product types anything from rent stabilized to free market to you know new construction tax abated deals mm-hmm. for rent stabilized stuff it's it's your local local private investors they have more of a long-term perspective and outlook on things they're finding opportunity that they haven't seen in the last 10 15 years they have more patient capital so they'll 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 buy it they'll they'll pick up another couple of hundred units because they own already a couple of hundred units whatever it is in Brooklyn or Queens and uh, Bronx it's it's all these buyers of rent stabilized stuff are local private investors that own in the uh, area. But I
0: believe when you and I spoke, you said to me that there are also some foreign investors.
3: Yes. So foreigners are coming here, and we're mostly selling them... A lot of these newly constructed buildings, like the seventy thirty uh, product, they're they, yeah they seem to be active in that space right now. The fair market, the free market buildings in Manhattan, they want more prime Manhattan good products. They're not buying the rent stabilized stuff. What so about d- depending on the product? It's a different it's a different pool of buyers. What about the banks? Are they interested in financing deals, or are, are they also interested in selling their loans today? They- there are there are there they're financing deals. Look, I think the fears. Um, fears around all these regional banks collapsing somewhat eased yes you know signature and, and and first republic really took uh really took a lot of you know banks that finance these multifamily deals in the boroughs out of the market but you know, we have banks, regional banks are lending. You know, NYCB and Valley are still lending. A few others we're doing deals with. I think people, again, people are more like, they feel a little more secure that there's not a banking, a regional banking collapse okay, coming. Okay, but many of the owners now have to put up additional equity in the deals, correct? Yes, on the refis for sure. Oh, that's, yes, I'm seeing that a lot right now. If they're not selling, and there are instances where, where we go out to market we're not getting the or we are getting bids but the bids are get you know are below debt and are, are either, yeah sellers are for so they're either selling and just taking a loss whatever it is or they're or they're just opting to refi and it's a cash and refi yeah they're coming up with more equity the no. challenge is if they want to put up more equity or just take a haircut and sell
0: you know so as you when you were on my tv show i always have my crystal apple when do you see it turning shiny okay right now it's still a little blurry
3: or maybe more than a little blurry. When do you see it getting better? So it's it's definitely still blurry, but I I have to say, uh, based on the activity we've been having the last few months, doing a lot of deals and 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 a lot of stuff going on in the market right now, I think it's going to translate to a lot of activity. I'm not sure about pricing. I think pricing is still going to stay. I think pricing levels are still going to stay. Maybe even decrease, but I think we're going to see a lot more transactions and activity in the third and fourth quarter. Let's okay, I'd
0: it. like to thank you for, to come to the Stoller Report on the Cats but Thanks again. To be here. Thank you, Mike.
2: What is today is former
1: governor david patterson governor patterson where do we want to start today let's start with the decision of the new york state appellate division which is not new york's highest court the highest court is the court of appeals but the appellate division ruled three to two on thursday knocking out the reapportionment map that would favor the republicans in favor of the original proposal that was submitted by the democrats Now. If anyone's upset about that, don't get too upset, because this case keeps going back and forth. It lost, now it won. It could lose again at the state court of appeals level, where it will now, be Now, Governor, soon. isn't
2: that the new socialist judge that was appointed because the state Senate and the
1: state assembly forced it down Governor Hochul's throat? It could be. I don't know how each of the judges voted. You know, I haven't seen the list of how each judge voted, but... This is not the end of this case. It will now go to the Court of Appeals for a final decision. So we'll just wait and see how this goes. It's very close, and I think that's why the judges are sort of, you know, not all in sync here. There are a lot of different issues that are going into making this decision.
2: But does that pass the smell test, Governor, that the legislature, they select a judge from Long Island, that was a legitimate guy, created a situation where he doesn't get approved. So they can
1: get another judge that they feel is going to be voting their way. Well, that's at the court of appeals level. This particular decision right now is at the appellate division. So that judge could not have voted there. But we'll find out soon enough because the court of appeals is going to have to discharge this case as quickly as possible.
2: Now, the other situation going on is New York keeps losing residents. We joke around and play the song Exodus and 484,000 have moved already and it hasn't stopped. Rumor is that the budget is going to be in trouble because taxation, taxes received are way down and everybody blames law and order, but some of the politicians refuse to acknowledge law and order.
1: Well, I think the statistics, at least where the public is concerned, are that 41% of New York state residents feel that they didn't think they would feel as afraid of crime as they are now. 52 percent of the group from New York City voted that way, 31 percent of the upstaters felt that way and 32 percent of the rest of the group and that would be the group from Long Island and that area. So that's a pretty significant number and I think nearly 78 percent of them said they haven't been bothered about crime as they are now. So What Mayor Adams has tried to say from time to time, because he did reduce gun trafficking by 25% in the last year compared to the previous year, is that the media is hyping up a lot of these high-profile cases and that that scares the public. Now, he's right about that, but that was the way it is now. That's the way it was in 1990. Even when the crime rate was low, when you have very dramatic situations like the road rage situation at 60th Street and between uh, Park and Lexington where the man got out of his car and started slashing the tires of the other car. The driver of the other car hit him and knocked him through a window and killed him. I mean, that's going to be on the front page. That was a particular case that's been covered nationally. So I think Mayor Adams is right. I understand how he feels. You know, you work real hard to try to make changes. You make some changes and they're never going to be highlighted as much as the horrific crimes that occur. But I think we can all agree generally that there is a rampant fear of crime by most residents of the city. And of course, there are a lot of people who've moved out of the city. If the city keeps declining,
2: you know, I heard a rumor that in the last 12 months could be as much as 20%. Where do you cut the budget?
1: Well, the problem is, as people leave, that decreases the number of people that can pay taxes. You can tax the rich all you want, but there'll come a point where there's a breaking point where you're not going to have enough money to balance your budget because you don't have enough people in the jurisdiction to pay for some of the great changes. And even just this week, the New York City Housing Authority said it needs $78 billion to fix all of the problems in public housing right now. On another situation, a fight between the mayor and the city council. City council now exercising its right to override the mayor's veto is gonna add a great deal of money to the budget. The mayor estimates it to be between 15 and 17 billion dollars for vouchers for people who don't have homes. And right now there are 20,000 people in New York walking around, they got the vouchers, but they can't find an apartment. So this is a situation that it's, I think, getting the leadership from Mayor Adams that it deserves, but other people are also gonna have to fall in line with his realization of what the obstacles are
2: what other things concern you about new york city and new york state what else is going to help us
1: well when they did have this big fight over the vouchers this week what really concerned me and i saw a man named de who spent a lot of time in shelters for his whole life and then became an advocate and what he said is that neither the mayor's office nor the city council addressed the issue of families with children they were not given priority families with children, the disabled, the elderly. They should be the first ones that the department addresses, and they didn't do it. And I think with the, all the arguing about how much money it was going to cost and whether or not the vouchers would be putting the individuals in shelters in competition with each other, of course, John, to get a voucher, you have to have a salary that is less than 200% of the poverty line. And so the right people are looking but what bothered me about the situation is that the most vulnerable people, the children and the disabled, were not really addressed in this discussion.
2: We have one minute left. Give me something that's going to make New Yorkers happy. We're going into a long,
1: hot summer. Well, we're going into a long, hot summer. The Yankees and Mets are back on the field playing, and hopefully maybe one of them will make the playoffs and make the fall a little more exciting than it usually is. But other than that, I think that, as I've always said, we're New Yorkers. We're resilient. We dealt with 9-11. We dealt with blackouts. We've dealt with a whole lot of problems, and I think we have the brainpower and the great capacity to solve the problems that we've discussed over the past few minutes.
2: Governor David Patterson, thank you for everything you've done for our city, our state, our country, and God bless you and God bless America.
1: Thank you, John. This is the round
2: Roundtable. We'll be right back.
4: Bruno,
0: he's your numero uno. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable.
2: With us today is former Congressman Peter King, and he still speaks out for our country. Congressman King, what's an update for this week in New York, New Jersey, the world, or whatever you want to talk about this
5: morning? Well, John, actually, on a local level, which really, I guess, has national and international connotations, there was a big arrest made the other day in uh, Nassau County by the Suffolk County Police. This overlapped the counties on the Gilgo Beach murders. Now, a person's been arrested. This is an investigation going on for 12 years. Gilgo Beach was in my congressional district. The person who was arrested... Uh, and, and that was mostly in Suffolk County. The person who was arrested actually lives in Nassau County in Mespeco Park, just a few blocks where my district office was. Uh, he was arrested on uh, Thursday night, early Friday morning, and uh, he's been arraigned. And uh, I, let me just say, without going into any of the details, a person who deserves tremendous credit is a mutual friend of ours, Ray Taney, the Suffolk County District Attorney, and also the Police Commissioner, Rodney Harrison, in, in Suffolk County, and before them, the uh, police went to Jerry Hart, the deputy commissioner, Jim Skopak. This was a tremendous victory for law enforcement. They stayed on it. So I give them credit, and it's a very, I think, positive step going forward as far as the credibility of law enforcement on Long Island, both in Nassau and Suffolk. There's the Nessar police also involved in providing information on this case, as was the FBI. So it shows that when people weren't together, and this sounds—now I'm sounding like you, John— and they show common sense and put politics aside, the job can be done. This was really great coordination and cooperation by the federal uh, government, the state government, the county governments, especially in Suffolk County with the police department and the district attorney, Ray, Ray Tierney, who's done a tremendous job on this.
2: Congressman King, you've been around forever. This case, the murders started like 18 years ago, and the last one was 13 years ago. Was this guy ever a suspect before? I mean, you live in that area. You represented that area. Did you ever suspect him officially or unofficially?
5: No, I never heard his name come up. I think it's only been somewhat recently that they started following him. Again, I I think more details are going to be coming out. But uh, he's a big guy. I think he's well over, like six foot five, six foot six. He's an architect. Uh, he's actually uh, been on YouTube uh, discussing architecture. He had a prominent job in Manhattan. He uh, is a family man. Uh, neighbors are shocked by the whole thing. I mean, this isn't, uh, you know, we're not talking about someone who was involved in a fight where somebody happened to get killed or some kind of a personal feud. This was, again, if these allegations are all true, we're talking about brutal, vicious, sadistic, perverted type murders. And uh, I think the general feeling is that he may be only, I shouldn't say only, but uh, of the many murders, I think they're uh, probably attributing at least four or five to him. But no, this is, uh, he is well, apparently is well respected in his community. His neighbors seem to have been taken totally by surprise on this. But I think, again, as the district attorney starts releasing more facts on this, we'll find out. More, but my understanding from talking to different police sources is that it's it only started to zero in, you know, recently in the last few weeks or last few months, and uh, it's again it shows what law enforcement is capable of doing when they're allowed to do their job.
2: Now there was also uh, rumors around that there was people protecting him. Any of those rumors any good at this
5: point? I think you know, we're finding out. I'm not aware of it. I, 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 I've heard the rumors as far as the allegations, as far as what can be proven. You know, we'll have to see. I think a lot's going to be coming out. And, uh, again, since, you know, you are very friendly with Ray Tierney, I think if anyone is going to find out about it on the air, it, it, it's going to be you, John, because, again, Ray, is, uh, he's done an excellent job. And his predecessor, by the way, you know, Tim, uh, Tim Seney also was involved in this case. Give him credit. He was a Democrat. That's in the past. Right now, you know, it, it's Ray Tierney. But, again, I can, I can tell you there was seamless cooperation between Suffolk County law enforcement, the DA's office. Federal government, also Nassau County, was very involved. <laughs> I remember uh, Nassau County spent weeks and months uh, with their cops in the Nassau part of Gilgo years ago, going through all those wooded areas. It's, uh, it, you know, it's it, In Nassau and Suffolk County, people think of them in these very advanced counties. You go down to Gilgo, this is like going to some desolate area somewhere. I mean, in some ways it's beautiful, but it's also, apparently it's been, I hate to use the term, like a dumping ground for bodies. It's so hard to get through. The brush is so difficult. It's like going back three or four hundred years. It's uh, you know, a bit of nature that's still there. Unfortunately, it was being used by at least one murderer to uh, you know leave dead bodies there, which was uh, incredible. But uh, also, John, I just, again, if we're talking about things going on, <clears throat> I just think this week, and again, I, 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 I consider myself a friend of Eric Adams, not a close friend of Eric Adams, but I know him. I get along fine. I really was wishing him well. But this week when he was blaming the media for people thinking that crime is a serious issue in New York, I mean, he's just living in denial. I mean, he's got to face up to the fact this is real. People, people who take the subways, people who walk the streets, and it's not just what they see in the media, it's what they see with their own eyes. And he's got to get crime under control because apart from the innocent victims of crime, as long as there's this real image out there of crime being uh, on the rise or at least uh, crime being rampant in New York, we're not going to see tourists coming back. We're not going to see businesses want to move in, in, into New York. And you combine that with the illegal migrants who are being put in Midtown hotels at a time when we're trying to get business to relocate to uh, Midtown Manhattan. I, I just wish Eric Adams would realize there are real issues. It's not the media creating them. Listen, I can criticize the media. You can criticize the media. But this is one time where reality is crime is crime is rampant. The city is no longer safe. And the mayor is the one person, I think, Uh, Being a former police officer himself, he lets the cops do their job and doesn't get in the way politically and takes the issue seriously. Real progress can be made.
2: I agree 100 percent because the exodus continues in New York City and New York State. And the governor, when I spoke to the governor last Sunday and and we spoke to the mayor, nobody wants to acknowledge that people are scared to ride the subways. Why that?
5: Again, they won't accept reality. And, John, it's businesses are leaving. People are leaving, and people are leaving the NYPD. I mean, they have record numbers of cops leaving because of the of, of the conditions, but the fact that they're not allowed to do their job, the fact that the job is becoming more dangerous, and they're giving less power and less rights. I mean, the city council is putting incredible restrictions on, on the police. Their hands are being tied. They're going to spend more time filling out forms for minor arrests. They, then they can rather use that time going after major criminals. It's just a, it's just a, a, a bad scene. It's not, it's not conducive to law enforcement at all, and it's causing good people to leave, and it's causing good cops to leave.
2: Peter King, thank you so much for everything you've done for our country and continue to speak out for our country, and God bless you and God bless America. Thank you so much.
5: Thank you for everything, John. Thank you.
2: With today is City Councilman Robert Holden, a common-sense Democrat, and he has some new revelations that he wants to talk about, the two new bills. And, Councilman, what would you like to talk about this Sunday morning?
6: Well, I got two things. One is, of course, we have a drug situation in New York City and in, actually in the country, and we have to get a handle on it. So I have an idea in questioning some city officials that maybe we can start to find out where most of the drugs are being used and how we could put an end to it or at least address it. And the other is I have a resolution to talk about honoring our Korean War veterans. So anytime, uh, you know, I can explain it, I can get into it. Well,
2: on the drugs thing in the water, I don't understand it. I know that Suffolk County was in trouble with the U.S. Attorney's Office on certain pollutants in the water in Suffolk County. I don't know if you read about that. Is it similar to that?
6: Yeah, it, but this, this is a little different. This is the wastewater where many countries now can, you know, we knew, by the way, where COVID was prevalent uh, by the wastewater. We were testing the wastewater. And then when I was questioning the officials, I said, well, that's interesting how you can test for COVID, the COVID virus, but are you testing for drugs, like illicit drugs, like fentanyl or or the, uh, the tract? So they said no. And they, at first they said they'd get back to me and then weeks later they did. And they said, no, we're not, we're not testing for illicit drugs. So I said, well, wow, that's pretty inexpensive. We could test it. It costs like a, between $100 and $200 per test. If you tested uh, the wastewater, you can find out where most of the fentanyl or other drugs are being consumed and used. Obviously, it's coming out in the wastewater. We have 14 wastewater resource recovery facilities. And if we tested a couple of times a week, we can get a handle. For instance, many uh, in in countries like uh, Australia and many countries in Europe, they're testing their wastewater regularly and they're identifying patterns of of use and at a fraction of the cost, like I mentioned. So the body excretes metabolites that can be tested in wastewater. and. And, it's, and it really shows real-time consumption of a particular drugs. Uh, for instance, in Europe, they they found out that they were testing um, and and finding out that the use of cocaine in ecstasy was on weekends, and they they that's when they started ha- they could crack down on certain areas. Yeah, that but they
2: but they don't arrest anybody anyway. So what well, good we, would
6: you do? Well, we need programs. Obviously, we have to get the people off the drugs, and we need to crack down on the on the drug dealers and they are putting people away if you know obviously the the big deal is and we want to we want to actually address that you know now with this with the fentanyl on the track we don't want people walking around the streets like in san francisco like zombies and it's starting to happen in new york city and certainly manhattan
2: well absolutely i mean when they legalized marijuana in addition the u.s attorney's office when they did the thing on suffolk county i tried to get them on the radio and they refused to come on the radio because i was wondering uh, the other problem with Suffolk County was, you know, they have that nuclear plant out there and maybe nuclear contamination in the drinking water.
6: Right. And that that would come out also partially, but most of it is you can test that in the drinking water, which is very different in wastewater, obviously. But we really have to kind of pinpoint the the focus of if we're gonna have, have these anti drug programs and spend billions You wanna
2: know what areas to target. I understand right, that right. Part. we
6: want to know where where can we where can we put the Obviously, the treatment areas where yes. where people where we have to focus our advertising. It gives you
2: additional intelligence. I understand that, and also in the Korean War veterans, I agree with you. Fifty thousand Americans died there; they deserve to be honored. And are the Vietnam War veterans honored?
6: You know, we never really honored them. They did come up with a a date for the Vietnam vets uh, to be honored. Uh, We don't have one um, for the Korean War yet. This coming July 27th will be the 70th anniversary of the signing of the Korean Armistice Agreement. We will have
2: you on our 5 o'clock show on July 27th, and you give us an update then of what's going on.
6: That's, That's terrific. Thank you.
2: Councilman Robert Holden, thank you for having Common Sense, and we'll catch up with you again real soon.
6: Thanks.
7: My pleasure, John.
2: This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back.
7: You're listening to the Cats Roundtable.
2: With us today is Eric Shuffler. He is the president of the Ferry Hawks. And uh, Eric, give us an update. What's going on with the Ferry Hawks? I mean, this is the third best
8: team in New York. We are America's, uh, New York City's other professional baseball team, right on Staten Island, right next to the Ferry, right across from lower Manhattan, the best view, the the best skyline in professional baseball. John, we have a great week coming up. Nine straight games at home, some amazing promotions, awesome stuff going on at the field this week. Wow.
2: Now, you're starting
8: a new home stretch nine games starting Tuesday. Starting Tuesday but I want to go to the really fun stuff we got coming up on next weekend. Next Friday night we have a bobblehead giveaway a figurine of a bacon egg and cheese sandwich Staten Island New York City's favorite breakfast food. The team is playing as the bacon egg and cheesers with special jerseys we're wearing and a special figurine giveaway on Friday night. And Saturday night John you know what Saturday night is at Berry Hawk Stadium Staten Island University Hospital Wow! Fireworks Saturday night and I didn't realize this, but it is halfway to Christmas on Saturday. So we're going to have Santa at the park taking pictures with kids. We're going to do a toy drive and then fireworks with that amazing skyline in the background.
2: And when does the banana guys come in?
8: Savannah Banana is the hottest ticket in New York City. August 11th and 12th, tickets are already sold out. We're expecting 12 or 13,000 people to Staten Island and the North Shore. A great event for Staten Island. Great event to show off our amazing stadium. Great event for New York City.
2: That sounds great. Now, what
8: is the www? www www.ferryhawks.com. F E R R Y H A W K S.com.
2: And that way, people can buy tickets online or they can get more information on when the Ferryhawks are playing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
8: You get our schedule, you can see the roster. You can buy tickets you can see all the upcoming promotions john one other promotion i want to mention something i know that's really dear to you and and myself as well next sunday july 23rd is our salute to veterans game a game where we are really dedicating it to honoring all the men and women who serve and have served with a special game you know that honors them throughout the day Kids run the bases afterwards but you know our day to thank all those who have put on a uniform
2: Sounds good, I'm gonna be there. I was there last Friday, and I gotta tell you, those Nathan's Frankfurters
8: were really, really good. We sell an awful lot of Nathan's hot dogs, uh, the most popular food in the park. We also have a lot of Staten Island local restaurants, local pizza, wings, tacos, empanadas, food's and, really doing well.
2: Wait, It's the most affordable baseball game you can go to, you know.
8: $15 a ticket, come on a Saturday, you get $15 ticket and a fireworks show. We have a family four-pack of $100 and four tickets and two and, help-
2: and you know the tickets that other people sell for $400 a seat <laughs> behind
8: home base? Yours are only like $25 a seat. That's actually only $20, John. 20. Tw- oh,
2: my God, that's too cheap.
8: We'll have to raise it next year. $20, premium seat. You are 10 feet from the catcher. They sell out pretty regularly, the best value in New York City. Eric, I'll see you at the next game. Play ball. Play ball. Go Ferry Hawks. Go WABC. Go America.
2: With us today is former congressman and uh, WABC host, Anthony Weiner. Anthony, good morning. How are you this Sunday morning?
4: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on the show.
2: Well, you're very, very smart in so many areas. What area do you want to cover this Sunday morning?
4: Well, this was an interesting week. This was a week that NATO got together, and uh, it's... When the war had started in, in Ukraine, it, the, the the NATO uh, the NATO meeting was like, heck, well, what's going to happen here now? A, a year and a half later, you can argue that NATO has never been stronger, and that's ultimately a very good thing for the United States of America. You know, there is a fringe of the left and a fringe of the right that doesn't have a lot of confidence in what we're doing there in, in Ukraine. But NATO, 31 nations that are in a defensive posture, you know, a lot of my colleagues used to complain when we were in Washington, you know, we should be... Um, we should be in a position where we get other countries to do more of the lifting. So we in the United States and the U.S. taxpayer doesn't have to do everything. We'll hear NATO has never been stronger. Two new countries, Finland and Sweden, get accepted into NATO, which is good news because Turkey had been an obstacle. The other countries are really stepping up in a way that is ultimately good for the United States of America. And, you know, you can make this argument. I think it was former Vice President Pence made this argument today. He said that at the beginning of the war, Russia was the second most powerful military in the world. And today, they are the second most powerful military in the Ukraine, Um, meaning that that we have found a way to have one of our real uh, geopolitical rivals has really struggled, and it's because we've all cooperated under the NATO umbrella. And that's ultimately a very good thing. You know, when people complain about the challenges that the United States faces, and even my friends on the right who talk about America first, let's keep our resources here locally, Let's not get involved overseas.
2: The United States made a deal, it looks like, with the Turkish government to allow Sweden to go into NATO. And, you know, we're friends with everybody, and Turkey is a member of NATO. But they always ask for something back. We heard, and it's not confirmed, that Turkey would like to have EC membership that they may or may not get. But if they can't get membership, I think they've asked for the ability for Turkish citizens to go into European countries without a visa. Yeah, so Erdogan
4: had already made, has always made this connection, you know, as a negotiating point. We want to be in the EU, and so we're going to slow down any expansion of NATO, including Sweden and Finland. They were more concerned about Sweden. So long as as they were held out from getting into the EU, and and the NATO na- nation said, "Listen, that's not the way we roll. We we're not going to link these two things." And and Turkey has some concern. Yeah, the EU has some concerns with Turkey, but I think it's a, it was another great victory for the U.S., the United States of America, and for NATO that that Turkey basically gave in and they they acceded to permitting Sweden in. Sweden had to make some minor changes. You know, the the Turks are concerned about. You know, the the Turks, as as a Muslim nation, they are concerned about the rise of some challenges that they saw to to, uh, Muslim citizens in Sweden. That all got resolved. And so now, if Putin thought that this was going to weaken NATO's resolve, he found out quite the opposite. And now, after the war has begun, we've added two new members. I don't believe that Turkey is going to get into the EU very quickly, but I think the United States should get some credit here for getting Erdogan to agree so that now the 31 nations have been able to speak with one voice.
2: What else would you like to talk about?
4: Well, you know, in the, while that's pretty far afield here in, in New York City, we're starting to see some signs that, you know, the inflation rate is coming down. And now, finally, a little bit. Rents are starting to soften a little bit on the residential side. But what we really need to do, John, is we really need to figure out ways to incentivize some of these B office buildings, not the fancy ones that have the super high rent, but the ones that are kind of in midtown that are the backbone of our real estate economy to get some of those employers to have their workers come back. Um, I know it's a heavy lift. There are a lot of younger workers who don't know anything but remote work. But until we get those office buildings back, filled up, and I think that we should figure out ways to offer some incentives to get them back. But first and foremost, the thing that's going to bring them back is lower crime and a sense of safety. And I think the numbers are going in the right direction. But until we can resolve that, we start to get tourism back. We've got, obviously, the markets are doing pretty well, but that real estate is still An- a challenge.
2: Anthony Weiner, I agree with you, but I don't want to give up just yet. But when I spoke to Governor Hochul last week, she didn't believe that crime was as bad as we're living it. Yeah. And uh, also, Mayor Adams yesterday, in the last couple of days, was blaming the media on the crime. And it's not the media's fault. It's somebody's pulling the trigger and they're not going to jail for it.
4: Well, there is, you know, we, we do talk about this in economic terms, this idea of leading and trailing indicators. Crime, the statistics are hopefully a leading indicator of where, the mo- where people are going to start to feel. But it never happens quickly. You know, both things can be true, John, that, that crime is coming down, but that people don't feel it. I think that there is this sensibility. That all mayors complain about. Rudy Giuliani complained about it when crime started coming down. If you look at the two-year mark of the Rudy Giuliani administration, crime had started to come down after years of going up but people were still saying it was the, it was a, an unsafe city to live in. It takes a little while. I think that the mayor and the governor have to understand that there are two different things. You can look at all the numbers in a chart that you want, but it's part of their job using the bully pulpit and using places like, like 77 WABC Radio to get the message out. If they want people to believe that things are changing, it's more than just statistics on a page that's going to do that.
2: Anthony Weiner, I wish you would have been mayor. You know why? We would have saved the eight years of Bill de Blasio. I like him. He's a good guy, but he didn't do a good job for our city. I think you would have done a better job.
4: Well, you can put that on my tombstone. Anthony Weiner, good guy, but he gave us eight years of
2: de Blasio. That's what you did. <laughs> Thank you much, and we'll catch up again real soon. Thanks, John. With us today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky. And he entertains us every Sunday when we look up in the sky, what do we see? When we dream about a faraway skies, what do we see? Steve Cates, what the heck is going on? Well, good morning, John,
7: here in Phoenix, where I'm broadcasting from. We're about ready to set a record of over 18 days with 110 degree temperature in other parts of the nation. And the listeners, I'm sure, are in this sweltering heat. But it goes back, John, to a story, a backstory about where in the story of volcanic activity, how has that changed climate change over history? And we find out that these particular volcanoes put so much carbon dioxide and sulfur dioxide and pollutants into the air, but what about two very important ones? If we go back in our time capsule, back to, let's say, the year 536 AD, we find out that both 536 AD and 539, two massive volcanoes, one in the Northern Hemisphere blue, and one in the tropics blew. But you know what it did? It lowered global temperatures for more than 10 years. And that's amazing, because major cooling events do indeed happen with volcanoes. So that's also something that the climate scientists need to take into calculation. I find that fascinating, that volcanoes, Mother Nature, is responsible, of course, for so much of the changes, obviously, on the Earth. Amazing stuff.
2: Unbelievable. Is this an ordinarily hot summer? it is john and there's
7: many things that are going on here i mean we see that people in the northeast have been plagued by this credible smoke from the canadian wildfires what's happening here globally for the shortest way we can explain it is that the el nino effect which traps much more you know temperatures and heat into the earth's atmosphere is taking place and many climate scientists are also saying that maybe we should look at injecting reflective particles in the atmosphere which would reflect the sunlight and theoretically lower the temperature of the Earth. But I think they have a long way to go. And another amazing theory from some scientists is that if we could harness the power of fusion, and we had literally, this sounds science science fiction, doesn't it? Here it goes. We could have some sort of nuclear-powered engine, like a fusion engine, and actually move the Earth about three-tenths of a percent of its orbital distance from the sun, maybe lowering temperatures. But I think that's a little bit way out there as far as i don't think
2: it'll is. happen i don't think it'll happen this century
7: i agree i think that's something that's very interesting but for the listeners john they need to know this the earth has a fairly circular orbit in other words the differences between the two extremes you know when we're closest and farthest are within millions of miles but the planet venus has the most circular orbit of any of the major planets but go figure Its temperatures on the surface are a godly, ungodly 910 degrees Fahrenheit every day. And that's a planet that you can see beautifully in the west-northwest. It's at its brightest right now. But we have something we always call the mystery of the week. And here it goes. One of the loudest sounds on Earth that we know about, and they're measured in decibels. What's a decibel? It's a logarithmic measure of sound intensity. And putting it in a simple way, we find out that if decibels are over 120 like a police siren. This, of course, may damage your ears if you're close to it. The average room has 50 decibels of sound. A hairdryer, maybe 90, and a gunshot sounds maybe up about 140 decibels. So, what were the loudest sounds on Earth? If we go back to the 1883 Krakatoa volcano explosion, by the way, 10,000 times the energy of the Hiroshima bomb, it recorded 310 decibels at that time. And if you were 100 miles away from the explosion, it was still 172 decibels. But going back to our John, our story about the climate change and volcanoes, global temperatures then dropped for five years. And we have animals that also put out some incredible, powerful sounds. Sperm whales, oceanographers say, that they can give clicks that are over 230 decibels. We find the Saturn V moon rocket. These particular powerful rockets, about 204 decibels. And the great asteroid impactor called Tunguska, it gave off about 195 decibels. These are some amazing things. But I'm amazed that these whales can actually send out signals under the ocean. Imagine 230 decibels of a click. That seemingly would, like, literally rip apart some swimmers or anything that's under the water. If they wanted to, I guess.
2: If if they wanted to. Now somebody somehow those whales are getting killed themselves and it could be some of the windmills that they're putting up by d- trying to yes. dig a hole for foundations for those windmills. And, Absolutely. You know, and we look these at the so-called yeah. environmentalists don't want to create wind power for electricity we're killing the whales and we're killing a I lot know, of John. birds that fly into the windmills. You know, and That's you know how region. much electricity the country's going to get from those windmills how do you say bupkis? That's a <laughs> you're word exactly from... you right, John. Must be a word from right. Brooklyn because it means almost nothing. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, you know, somebody is conning somebody.
7: John, you're so right, and it's amazing. We need to protect those whales. I mean, if you look at the story of how they migrate and, and how they're being killed off in many cases, they were here a long time before humans, of course, but the oceans should be at least sacred for them to be able to reproduce and to live and to live their lives. And many people, of course, would agree with us. But, you know, I want to mention in closing, John, the live sky. We always talk about things that people well, can there, actually see. Well, there's one
2: additional thing, Dr. Sky. The other day it was reported that the Mars rover found something that might be connected to possible life.
7: You know John there's many stories on this what we're talking about here is perseverance has been scouring the surface of Mars and doing a great job it's been collecting some samples that hopefully when they're deposited on the surface you know surface of Mars like in these little vials like test tubes a future Mars recovery mission will be able to pick them up but like i said before in last week's episode the viking landers they may have intentionally found or unintentionally found life on Mars But they added water to it, thinking that it was an Earth contaminant. But the story goes on about searching for life on Mars. It seems like Mars, many, many millions of years ago, obviously had gigantic oceans. And why it died off, John, the simplest explanation is this. Mars lost its magnetic field. Thank God the Earth has its magnetic field. It shields us from the solar radiation. Believe it or not, many people may doubt that, but it surely does. Mars lost its magnetic field. Nobody knows why. But what happened in the magnetic field, you know, broke away or disappeared. Solar radiation then ate away the upper atmosphere of Mars, and the water simply evaporated into space. But things you can see in the sky as we end off here, John, I mentioned before, Venus is super bright at its brightest right now. That's a planet that some astronomers say there may be life forms of something called phosphines in the Venusian atmosphere and maybe the place to look for life in the clouds of Venus, but on a more memorable note, where were you, John, back in 1969 because Apollo, Apollo 11, that is, launched to the moon on July 16th at 9.32 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time 54 years ago. Wow, what an amazing story. Let's never forget the amazing achievement that America did the first time in history landing on the surface of the moon with Apollo 11. its I, I can't get it out of my head. It's still amazing.
2: It's amazing, but i got to give you my personal feeling. We haven't sure. accomplished that much since.
7: Well, we need to keep, uh, as they say, trucking on, and hopefully future generations will be able to make these trips a lot easier and much more affordable. And hopefully the ROI, John, can come back to exploring for minerals and other ways to harness energy that surely lies out in the cosmos.
2: Steve Cates, thank you for the report, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Like I always say, if there's anything tremendous happening, text me. We'll have you on to be able to report to our listeners.
7: Well, thank you so much, John, and a good Sunday morning and Sunday to all your listeners. Proud to be part of the show. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to the Cats
2: Roundtable. Falling in from the uh, press conference, we have uh, district attorney.
9: Ray Tierney, Suffolk County DA, of course, talking about the Gilgo murders with the arrest just a little bit ago. Uh, well, congratulations, District Attorney Tierney! Tell us about what's going on.
10: Uh, well, we, we, you know, we we, uh, we had formed a task force in uh, January of 2022, uh, and we worked with uh, a bunch of state and, and federal partners, uh, and we were able to settle upon uh, name a. Uh, a suspect, the defendant, Rex Sherman, for the first time, and uh, we arrested him today and charged him with three of the Gilgo murders.
9: Wow. Yeah, great. By the way, great work on your part, uh, Mr. District Attorney. I mean, really amazing. What I want to ask you, too, is what do you think was the the key that brought this together? I know, obviously, there was a lot of coordination teamwork. You were at the helm and did an amazing job. What was sort of the evidence that you think just sort of kicked this into high gear?
10: Well, I, I I think that you know when you're talking about a cold case, it's never going to be one piece of evidence. It's going to be a whole bunch of different stuff. And when you have 13 years worth of stuff to look into, you got to look at it all. And then you got to you got to continue to do search warrants and subpoenas and get more information. And as you get that information that that should inform your investigation. And then you follow it to you know, its logical conclusion to the person who did it uh, and think that, you know, we were really a- uh, able to do that. Where in the past, you know, I don't think they got that direction.
9: Talk about the, the trail, if you can. I know there's a lot, but the hair seems really significant. The hairs that were found on the burlap and then you were able to connect it to the pizza that he threw out. How long was that trail and also how important was that connection?
10: Yeah, I think it all kind of fits together. So we had phone information that made a location, uh, a very specific location in Massapequa Park, as well as a, a location in Midtown Manhattan, very important. And then we had information with regard to a Chevy Avalanche. And once we put those things together, that allowed, us, and as well as the physical description of, of the defendant, who's a very large person, that allowed us to then get a suspect, and then use that suspect to, to, to test those hairs. And of course, we uh, we were able to, you know, be successful with that and get mitochondrial mitochondrial DNA matches with regard to the defendant in one instance, and his wife in,
2: in two in two other instances. Uh, District Attorney, Taney, uh, were there people you've been working on it a few years now, and you've been working very hard? You made a pledge to to get this done when you were elected. Uh, were there people that knew about it in previous administrations and covered it up?
10: No, I don't think that.
2: I think that
10: my team. We we started the task force February first of twenty twenty two. I got elected in January of twenty twenty two, and then uh, you know six weeks later. On March 14th, uh, we uh, Rex Sherman was identified as suspect, as a suspect for the first time. And from there, you know, we, we uh, issued 300 separate search warrants, rapinas, uh, to gather more information, to try to put the case together, get enough evidence to charge him. Uh, and that's what we did. And, and we were fortunate because we were able to wo- work with a lot of really great people, not only in my offices, but with our agencies that we work with as well
2: d.a Tierney, thank you for this exclusive uh, right after your your uh, big news conference big news conference yes and and this is the biggest news you've made nation- nationwide news uh, d.a oh thank you thank you thank you so much
9: yeah and, and thank goodness also uh you know obviously the victim's families getting some you know answers courtesy of your great hard work thank you so much and we'll catch up with you again real soon okay Thank you for being with
2: us for the Cat's Round Table Local Edition, the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cat's Round Table National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news.
10: NYC.